to the Joplin Toadcast, brought to you by JoplinToad.com. This episode's guest is Mr. F.C. Schultz, a local writer and author's coach with several published works and a brand new guide for writers. Our host, Mark Neinschwater, talks with F.C. about his adventures in becoming an author, with plenty of gold advice here for writers and all creatives about how to set realistic goals, establish great routines for your creativity, and make entry into the world of self-publishing and other larger-scale projects. Here we go. Mommy made me mash my M and M's. New Orleans, New Orleans, old Orleans, old Orleans, future Orleans. Banane, banane, banana. So. Welcome to the Joplin Toadcast. Thanks. Uh, I have with me here Mr. F.C. Schultz. Uh, Hello. Warming up with some some vocal exercises, as we've been told professionals do. Mm-hmm. You feel pretty warmed up? I do feel pretty warmed up. Um, my audio recorder just skipped, but I think we're good. I think we're good. <laughs> We won't worry about that right now. (laughs) We've got exactly 20 seconds. (laughs) Starting over. Uh, No. Uh, Do you want to go by by FC or do you want to go by Christian today? Yeah. So a little backstory. I use FC Schultz for like writing stuff. Um, My first name is Francis, but I go by Christian. My friends call me Christian. So that's where the FC comes from. But today, Mark, you're my friend, so we can go by Christian. Aw. And uh, <laughs> by association, everyone listening is your friend, too, just for yep. this period of time. That also ruins the first 10 minutes of the podcast that I had planned, which was just me guessing your first name. Oh. <laughs> so I, well, we I had can, a list, but it's okay. You can bleep uh, it in post. And then... Frank, Ferdinand... Uh, mm-hmm. So, but it's okay. Um, and I actually knew your first name anyway. It was just more fun <laughs> to pretend to guess. But so to give you guys a little bit of background, uh, Christian has been involved with the Toad in some capacity since it's, since it's birthing. Um, he was actually even partially responsible for helping choose the name uh, of our beloved Toad. And um, Christian is a writer. Christian has done a lot of uh, media work, works for Ozark Christian College. And he is uh, currently preparing to launch a new book for other writers, which is a very exciting endeavor uh, to add to his other published works and um, just the, the leading he's done of other writers in the area and, and all that kind of thing. So um, Christian, tell us a little bit about um, yeah, just kind of your creative journey. Like when you were a kid, did you know, did you know you wanted to be a writer? Was that something that, that was pretty prevalent in your childhood? Uh, so growing up, I actually, I didn't read that much. Uh, I didn't write. At all. And so, um, it really came uh, probably I was, I think I was 20 years old or so. I was sharing an apartment with one of my friends and I woke up in the middle of the night with a story idea for kind of that joke that why was six, Friday seven, because seven, eight, nine 
it was like a spin on that. And six was afraid of seven because seven wouldn't have any friends anymore because everyone was afraid of him. And so it wasn't that he would get eaten. It was just bananas. I woke up in the middle of the night with that idea and I just wrote it immediately and did nothing with it. I had written anything before. Um, it was, it would be years before I'd write anything else again. And so that was kind of the, first thing that was like here's a story yeah let's sit down and just do it with no idea what we're <laughs> what we're doing here um and then when i went to ozark christian college um i took some writing courses there uh which really put it into overdrive my love for writing and i was like wow i really i really enjoy doing this um for the seminars i took i actually had to write a chapter of a book which is actually my first book now is what it ended up being. I wrote the first chapter three years before the book came out. So that's kind of where it started. So in college, um, that would have been probably seven or eight years ago now. Wow. How many, um, how many books have you written in that time? Yeah. So the, that first book, the Rose weapon came out, um, in 2016, nope, 2017. And then um, I came out with a novella the next spring, 2018, um, The Mystery of Pancake Shores. And then the sequel to the first book just came out last year. So uh, I'm currently working on the first draft of a post-apocalyptic story right now. So Awesome. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's a lot of progress in the last couple of years. Um, and that's one reason, you know, that I wanted to talk to you today, uh, just as kind of a little bit of a resource for other creatives, especially right now, um, as we're dealing with a ton of uncertainty and lack of motivation and um, dealing more than ever with the fact that we, as artists, don't know always how to organize ourselves. Um, and that's something I've always been um, really just impressed with you and, and I've learned a lot from you um, just in your ability to keep multiple, multiple projects going at the same time, um, several collaborations at once, um, and to, to keep steady progress going on the projects you really care about without losing momentum. And so I'd like to get, get into that a little bit more with you, um, here in a few minutes, cause I know that you have a lot to say there that could be helpful to people. Um, but first kind of going back again, um, you know, tell, tell us a little bit about your, your influences, um, you know, what got you, what got you to start taking writing seriously, you know, when you hit college and you, you started doing it more and more, um, you know, what, what kind of flipped that switch for you and made you realize like, Oh, I might, you know, I might want to dedicate a good portion of my life to this. Sure. Yeah. So really reading, um, Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury was, mm. I think I read that in 2012. So right around that same time and was just fascinated by it. That was the first time I had read it and by his writing and just his style. And then, um, I got some short story collections by him and I, when I started writing, I was just figured I'm going to be a short story writer. I don't think I could ever write a novel or a longer story like that. I wasn't interested in that at all. I just, wanted to write short stories. And so I wanted to basically, how can I be Ray Bradbury was the goal. <laughs> and so um, reading a bunch of his stuff, fiction, nonfiction stuff, um, that really 
kind of I, I wanted to model my path after him. I think I heard some advice. Find somebody who is where you want to be and then look at the path that they took um, mm. and how they got there. Now, obviously, everybody's paths are going to be different um, on, on how to get there, but that's a good place to start and see, okay, this, is, this person is doing what I want to do. So let me kind of backtrack and see how they started this. And for him, I mean, Ray Bradbury started writing stories when he was just a little kid. And so I obviously didn't have that. But he said, he suggests write a short story a week for a year. He says, I dare you to write 52 bad stories. He <laughs> says, most of them will be bad, but you'll have two or three probably that are really solid. Right. Um, they can't at that volume. They can't all be bad. Right. And you get some quick wins too. So a lot of authors who start out with this uh, grand novel idea, um, they sit down to do it and it's just too much. Um, yeah. It's just, it go, it takes so long and you don't get those wins because you're, you're not finishing it yet. Cause it's thousands and thousands of words, but with short stories, if you're doing it often, you're like, Oh, here's a finished story. Here's a finished story. Here's a finished story. It helps build that momentum. Yeah, so, definitely. And see, so seeing how Ray Bradbury talked about writing, um, he's all about creativity and doing it because you love it. Um, he, really hated the idea of like writing to market or writing just to sell a book. Um, and so that's one of the things that combined with coming to writing later in life. Um, while I do wish I would have written sooner, you know, I would, I feel like I, my writing would be better. I'm doing some of that now coming at it at a later point, I'm able to, use the skills that I have as far as like organization and discipline that I wouldn't have probably had as a nine-year-old, you know? <laughs> and so that's know, there's some pretty organized nine-year-olds out there. That's so true. That's true. A lot of them probably more than I am. <laughs> <laughs> that allowed me to kind of get a jump start and say, okay, I'm going to take this seriously. Let me use these skills now and actually take it seriously. Cause I know how to take things seriously. Cause I'm an adult, you know? And so that kind of, <laughs> that kind of helps that way. That's awesome. Um, how, how do you feel that uh, maybe Bradbury's path and yours would um, have to differ by just necessity of, you know, how the world has changed? Do you feel like there's, there's any ways in which he went about things that you're like, well, it's not the way things work anymore? Or is it, is it pretty steadily the same? Sure. Yeah. So one thing, um, I, I uh, self-published my books on Amazon, which obviously didn't exist in 1930. <laughs> you know, <laughs> do you think um, Bradbury would have self-published on Amazon? I think so. I mean, he he was selling his short stories for you know, especially as a kid, he was selling them for cheap, you know, just to make some money that way. Um, he didn't go to college, and so um, I don't know. I for me he was able to start um, submitting stories and stuff, which I've sold a couple stories to places and whatnot. But um, since I am a little bit older and have a family now, I wanted to take one of the reasons I wanted to take the self-publishing route is uh, it's quicker. I mean, that's just one of the things it's, it is faster. You're, you're publishing. That's how I'm able to publish three stories in three years, you know, Three books in three years. Um, it's quicker. Now there's more, there's a lot of work that goes into it. You have to co design your cover yourself or have somebody do it. You have to format everything 
you have to market everything. And so there's a lot that goes into it. It's not the easy way out um, as people sometimes think. That allowed me to kind of build an audience pretty quickly. And so kind of, I kind of got tired of telling people I'm an author. And then they would say, uh, do you have any books out? And I would say, no. So <laughs> I, that kind of encouraged me to get that first one out too. So sure. Well, that's awesome, man. I know um, there's a lot of debate in the writing world about, you know, should you self-publish or should you hold out for, you know, um, an agent and all that kind of thing. Um, but it seems like kind of the way things work now that, that self-publishing is, is the way that, that people are going more and more and more. Um, so that's, I don't know, just interesting. Um, would you, yeah, do I mean, you think it's, it's true from what you've seen too, that, um, agents and publishing companies and that kind of thing are actually, they're kind of looking for that sort of self-promotion and that drive that would, that would make people self-publish or put out newsletters or those kind of things. Sure. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that you'll hear if you look into self-publishing versus traditional publishing is the marketing aspect. Some, a lot of authors don't want to self-publish or they, a lot of authors want to get traditionally published. So they don't have to do the marketing because they don't know how, or they don't want to, but a lot of places you'll see, if you do research on this, the, the companies, the publish, the publishers are still going to want you to do that kind of marketing work. Um, they're still going to expect you to have an email list um, or some kind of buffling and they're still going to accept that from you. So, <laughs> so um, that's the thing that kind of gets overlooked with traditional publishing. So I think that people are warming up to it quite a bit, especially when you've got authors who could be traditionally published or were traditionally published and are choosing to self-publish now instead um, because the margins are, are better. And so um, that's, I think that is changing it a little bit. And once you get quality, quality content out there, that's the other thing with self-publishing. You ha it has to be as good as a traditionally published book. Um, you have to hire a copy editor, a professional cover designer. Um, you have to have all those things still. So only the, the distribution is the only thing that's changing. So, yeah. Yeah, that's... And I, then again, a lot, so much of it is just consistency of output. Um, you know, because you, you can always hold back certain projects that you want to do different things with but having enough content that you can say, you know, I'm going to go ahead and throw these out there. I can give this one away for free. I can attach this one to a newsletter or something like that, you know, where you have, cause there's all these different mediums that you can push your work through, but you have to have enough work to be able to mm -hmm. kind of segment them out in that way. And I think that that applies to a lot of different creative forms sure. right now, you know? So if, if you spend, like you, you said, you spend all of your time, on your one big thing, by the time you have it done, it's so precious to you, you. You almost can't part with it. You know, like, no, it's gotta be published by, you know, the best agent or, or nothing. Um, so it's not a matter of don't write the big thing on you should, but more, yeah, write lots of, create lots of smaller things, work on lots of smaller projects, do lots of collaborations. They're preparing you for the big thing. And in the meanwhile, you have this wealth of work built up that's gained a following and gained a respect and, um, and giving you just a ton of practice. So Definitely. I, yeah, I see that, um, 
just in a variety of different artists and the way they're doing things. And one thing it comes down to for traditionally published or self-published, one thing we talk about a lot in the writing group is what are your goals? You know, if your goal is to be traditionally published, then go for it. You know, you know, it's going to come with that. Uh, It's going to take longer. Um, There are certain things that publishers are looking for and you can write a book that kind of fits into that. So there's nothing wrong with that at all. It just depends on what you want to do. Uh, For me, I wanted to, make a large body of work. Uh, I wanted to do a lot of things. I have a lot of stories that I want to tell and I want to tell them quickly. Um, that doesn't mean that I will never uh, submit a book to try to, to an agent for it to try to be traditionally published. Uh, I kind of think of it as a project by project basis now. And so the first couple books, you know, were very much for the, the indie market. And so, but I have some ideas that would have more commercial value, um, at least from what a publisher would see. I kind of try to go again to the Ray Bradbury point of view where I write things that I want to write and then kind of let them go wherever they go after that, as far as genres and where, how they should be distributed, distributed and that kind of stuff. So definitely. Yeah. I've, I for sure found that to be true. And it's, it's funny. I can get really wrapped up in, um, I don't just trying to be very productive with my work and that I'm, I'm making work that will get me more work or, um, is made for specific purposes. Uh, and it's really easy to just forget to, to do it for fun. Um, you know, whatever your, your creative form is. And if you do something with enough passion in it, like it will catch other people's attention. And the, the beautiful thing about that is then, uh, you're attracting attention for your favorite work which means you'll get more of that kind of work. And so, you know, if you spend too much time thinking about well, what will people like or what should I make or what do people want to see, um, it will ironically end up having a lot less joy in it, being a lot more generic, um, and you won't actually get more of the kind of work that you would like to get. So. For sure. I mean, it's a, just, it's a balance. <laughs> yeah. We just watched the Onward, the Disney Pixar movie. Mm, I haven't seen it yet. It's very good. Um, but watching it at the end of it, I was like, this seems like it was therapy for somebody like who wrote it. Like it seems the way it. Yeah. And all their was, movies feel that way. You know, sure. like they all feel very personal. And, and so, yeah. And then looking it up or looking up any of those movies, you see, yes, the writer and the director it mirrors his own life a lot, you know? And so it was a passion project to, to do it. And, and it's amazing, you know? Mm-hmm. So just go yeah. along with yeah, what you're saying. Yeah. I'm a big fan of movies and that's, <laughs> I always look at, um, you know, some of these, these directors that, that I followed for a while are getting their big projects or blockbusters. Um, but I love looking at their, their little projects or the, you know, the projects that they did that had a lot of heart in them that they've been planning for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it's, then again, it's a balance because they had to make the blockbuster sometimes to be able to make the passion project. Sure. Um, you know, and, uh, like, like, uh, Christopher Nolan's one of my favorite examples of that. Like, you know, he did, 
you know, he put a lot of passion into the Dark Knight trilogy, obviously, but he didn't really care that much about the Dark sure. Knight. <laughs> you know, that was sort of his, we'll make this to get to what you really want to make. And he made that. And then came, you know, Interstellar and Inception and some of those movies that were much more personal projects for him. Um, yeah. And, and they, so for, they're so original, you know. Sure. And so for writing, I mean, it's the same thing. If your goal is to make money so that you can live off your writing and then so you can write the things that you want to write and you see what markets are hot right now. It's you write romance, you know, and you write a lot of it and you really focus on that maybe for a year or two. And then if you can build a decent following with your, with those, then you can kind of switch over and write the things you want to write under a different name or something like that. You know, there's nothing, nothing wrong with that either. Sure. Yeah. I think the only thing, you know, that I caution people toward is, is always be making the thing that you really want to make. Um, it doesn't mean you have to be doing it constantly, but make sure that you don't drop that completely at any point, you know, because sure. that's when you'll get to that point of burnout. Um, make sure that there's, there's just always some element going in the background at least of, okay, but this is what I really care about. Um, so let's, let's flip uh, topics really quick. Um, what's it, what's it like being a writer in Joplin? Uh, <laughs> how do you, uh, how does the, the creative atmosphere here affect you? Um, as opposed to to living in a bigger city and, and, and also tell us like, are you from here? Um, what's your, what's your relationship with Joplin Light? Sure. So yeah, I'm actually from Springfield, Illinois. Um, grew up there, moved here for college, uh, when, when I was 20, about nine years ago. And so, um, it's birthplace of the Simpsons, right? I think we got second place. I think Springfield, Massachusetts won in ah. that contest. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well. We got Abraham Lincoln though. Um, okay. Well, that's pretty sweet. And um, she's from Fort Scott. And so when you, when we drive into Fort Scott, it says the boyhood home of Gordon parks. So I always thought that's pretty cool. <laughs> um, but then for Springfield, Illinois, you'd have to do something super amazing to beat Abraham Lincoln, like to get a sign there that says the boyhood home of FC Schultz. I don't know what I could do, what I could do to even compare with what Abraham Lincoln does. So it would. So you're saying like your goal was to move to Joplin because you right. figured this town is least likely to have anything else amazing come out of it. I'm sure I can beat out everyone. The middle-aged home of FC Schultz. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd have to be at uh what Langston Hughes and Thomas yeah. Hart Benton? Yeah, that's that'd be a little tricky. Definitely. Um, but anyway, so yeah, to the original question, um, it's been pretty, I think, kind of surprisingly helpful. Um, the creative community here. I wasn't really looking for. I wasn't really expecting it, but um, getting involved with the Limners and meeting people through there, getting to know you and Lance. Um, those have been some connections. I mean, um, in this writing book, I, in the acknowledgements give a shout out to Lance, uh, which you would have introduced me to. And I give a shout out to Luke, which you also introduced me to <laughs> both of them have been super helpful in my writing career. So I think, I mean, I wasn't kind of looking for that, but it kind of just coming to meetings and being involved and, um, meeting people kind of led to that, which, 
has made all the difference for sure. So, um, yeah, it's been a, a, a great place to, to kind of grow, um, as a writer, as a creative, um, and yeah, now leading the writing, the limiters writing group has been, been great. Yeah. That's awesome. So yeah, Christian and I are both part of, a a local artist group, um, that meets regularly. Um, and the cool thing about doing that in Joplin is, uh, there's just not a lot of pretension there, I guess. Um, it's not a super competitive like marketplace or anything like that. It's not cutthroat. We're not. Um, and so, you know, with that comes, uh, we don't have as many like super, super established artists, but there's definitely an openness when it comes to the creativity. And so it's cool to see, you know, kind of this other generation of artists coming up that are all just supporting each other super well. And I think we're going to see some amazing things come out of that, that movement. And it's definitely something that we're trying to spread just personally and through things like the toad and, you know, whatever else. But um, for anybody listening, if you have any interest in finding out more about those kind of things, you can definitely email us. Um, But yeah, so that's our, (laughs) that's my plug for Joplin. (laughs) But um, yeah, do you feel like there's any drawbacks as opposed to living in a kind of a bigger urban area or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I wasn't really writing much uh, growing up. And so I don't really have anything to compare it to. Um, Everything's so online these days, you know, when I'm submitting stories and poems or reaching out to agents and stuff, it's all via email and that kind of stuff. And so, um, and then meeting in person, you know, there's conferences and that kind of thing to actually get those connections. So, I mean, I don't have anything to compare it to really, but I haven't really been wanting, I haven't really thought I wish I was in a big city because whatever. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I probably have similar experiences. I've lived in slightly bigger cities, but um, no bigger city. Let me rephrase. (laughs) But um, yeah, I mean, it's all about the people. We have good people. Mm -hmm. Um, So right now, the, the obvious topic, I can't believe I've talked to anyone for longer than 20 minutes without mentioning a pandemic. Uh, <laughs> but uh, obviously that's affecting people in some very interesting ways. Um, I've seen some amazing creativity flow out of this. And I've also seen some terrible like depression and anxiety that's, that's you know, kind of stopped people from creating in the ways that they'd like. Um, how do you feel like this time's affected you with that stuff? How are you doing? Yeah. Um really the first month or so I hardly did anything. So I was definitely in that latter group, um, really feeling guilty for not using the time to create stuff. Um, uh, but I do have an 18, yeah, that's a common he's, thing. <laughs> he's 20 months, a 20 month old, uh, baby toddler. We well, created so, that. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty clear. <laughs> <laughs> so people say, you know, you've got so much more time on your hands now, but, you know, with, I'm still working the same amount from just from home now. And we've got, uh, our son is home now and we're trying to balance. We're both working. So there's not really more time. <laughs> and then on yeah. top of that, yeah. And I think anybody on, with kids is probably nodding vigorously. <laughs> like, <sure. laughs> you yeah. fools. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, and then especially early on, just thinking about processing the pandemic and how am I going to keep my family safe and what do I need to do? Um, it just took up so much mental capacity that I 
I just didn't get anything done. And so I was trying to encourage people and encourage our the writing group, especially like if you're not doing creative work now, that's okay. Um, mm-hmm. Right now, if you're just getting by, taking care of your family, checking in on those that you love, that's plenty. Um, try not to put too much pressure on yourself. And so that's kind of where I've been. Um, I was growing out my beard and it was huge and itchy. Um, and so May 1st rolled around and I just shaved it all off as kind of a symbolic, okay, let's kind of regroup here and kind of get some good habits going again. You know, Are you saying I'd be more productive without a beard, Christian? Is that- well, I mean... So we're not hard to try, right? I don't know how I feel about this. It's <laughs> been my problem. <laughs> it, was, it was more of like a symbolic, like, okay, I need to change some things. Like I've been staying up too late, sleeping in too long, yeah. not not doing things I actually want to do. And All so those habits like, add up. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was okay. Let's do this. We're gonna. This is a the symbolic. We're shaving the beard off. We're getting kind of try to get back into a little bit of a habit here. And so far it's been, it's been great. I, I mean, I've said at, at the beginning, I'm working on the first draft um, of a post-apocalyptic story. I've been working on that since last summer. Um, and so far in the last week, I've had written more words than I did in the last five months, probably. So, oh, wow. That's awesome. Well, I, I, I feel like I'm kind of sensing that shift with a lot of people right now. Like we kind of had our month of, anxiety and sort of treating it like summer vacation as a kid, you know, you're just yeah. like, a lot of video uh, games. I'm just going to yeah, play video games <laughs> and try and survive. Uh, and now we're hitting a point where it's like, okay, okay, that's enough. <laughs> yep. And I think those symbolic acts, I mean, they really are important because, you know, for those of us that are just still staying inside, um, like those symbolic acts are kind of all we have because we can't do the real things that we would, you know, you can't go to another space like you ordinarily might or, or whatever it is. And so finding little ways to like show your brain, like, Hey, we're shifting the way we do things. Um, We're going to get back into a, into a, and I know it's, you know, just looking at at, um, the schedule that my wife has set up for our kids, (laughs) you know, I'm seeing, Sure. Like they don't need to do schoolwork right now. Like they're fine. Everybody's going to be behind at the same rate, you know, but it's the symbolic act of I'm going to sit down and learn something now is it's super important. Like you kind of watch them break down if they don't have some sense of structure. And so, you know, she's setting recess times for them and all this stuff. And it's like, well, <laughs> the whole day could be recess, you know, like, sure. <laughs> it doesn't matter, but it does matter. Um, and yeah. I think that's honestly what's kept us sane is having that schedule. And ironically, like I've let a lot of my schedule slip. Um, and, and yeah, it really affects you. And I'm, I'm kind of in that same spot. I'm saying, okay, I, I do need to go to bed at a normal time and I'm going to do some push ups today and I'm going to sit down at my desk upstairs instead of, you know, with my laptop on the couch. And, um, and it really does kind of help your mindset quite a bit so and for sure and also what you're saying like it's true some of us are still really dealing with with anxiety and it's okay to cut yourself a break there's been a lot of online messages of you know hustle 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 like you've got all this time learn a new skill learn another language play the guitar you know it's like (laughs) that i mean that sounds awesome but it's not that simple yeah 
but um so yeah one thing we haven't really talked about a lot is the actual nature and content of your work um so you've written a couple books you've done a ton of short stories um tell us a little bit about about your work about um what inspires it now and and what the kind of the content is and um what your favorite things are to write just just that kind of stuff sure yeah, so I definitely try to go by the the Ray Bradbury approach to write things that you want to write that are interesting to you. Um, and so early on, the goal um, was not to make a lot of money uh, right away. You know, I'm trying. I'm definitely know that I'm playing the long game, and that means I want to write the story that I want to write, and I'll be. I feel like I'll be happier along the way. And so that being said, and kind of making that decision early on my first book is about dragons and Vikings. <laughs> so, <Nice. laughs> um, and I, I, I call it, um, the genre, I call it grounded fantasy. So I love taking one fantasy element and placing it into an otherwise realistic world and kind of see what happens from there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So we've got Vikings, um, and then we've got a dragon, right? So, but it can't talk. There's no magic. It's just a wild animal, basically. And so, that's kind of where where that came from. This dragon attacks a town every ten years. What kind of happens from there? So, that's the the rose weapon, and then the sequel, When Embers End. That's kind of the premise for those. For Pancake Mystery at Pancake Shores, it was. Um, well, actually, I can't really say because it's a, it'd be a spoiler. <laughs> but uh, it's the same idea. It's the late fifties um, northeast, and it's just a slow burn mystery um, with some kids who are on vacation there. And so, uh, kind of doing the same thing with the grounded fantasy element. And this this one I'm working on right now is um, post apocalyptic. But what if everybody lived in virtual reality? the whole 100% of the time. And then of course you, it gives, it gives you an easy end to add human elements. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of times when I'm writing blurbs for my stories or bios, when I'm submitting uh, work, I'll say FC Schultz writes stories about dragons and Vikings and honor and family, stuff like that. Um, nice. It's really easy to kind of get those themes. Once you it's a great blurb, once you, once you get those um, bigger themes established i guess so yeah the rose weapon has vikings and dragon but it's also about family dynamics and loss and how to deal with with parents and and kids and so um kind of hidden in there yeah yeah because the story is never just about the story like uh i i love too that you you said you like to give yourself um just kind of little personal challenges. I remember you telling me that when you wrote the Rose weapon, your goal was to never use the word dragon. Uh, and you, you succeeded in that, right? Yep. Yep. It's the fire beast. Right. So it's a book about a dragon, but you never use the word. I, I, I don't know. I really like that. Like that's kind of a fun way to force yourself to reframe um, a, a, a common subject or a subject that's been visited a lot of times, you know, forcing yourself to, to think about it in a new way. For um, sure. And in, for that one too, I, I like to try to have, okay, what am I going to learn during this book when I'm writing this book? So for the Rose weapon, it was, let's learn how to write a book because I'd never done it before. <laughs> Less than so, enough. 
Yes. So I, I use the hero's journey framework almost to a T. If you were to, if you're familiar with that, when you're reading the book, you'll see it um, almost exactly. And so there's really never more than two characters on screen at the same time, because just trying to do dialogue, I was new to that. Uh, so the dialogue's pretty cheesy. But then for the second book, I was like, okay, let's focus on dialogue. I really want to improve my dialogue. And so there's like three or four characters that are tra- kind of traveling around. And so that was an interesting one. Like, okay, how do I balance dialogue? So this person's not just sitting here and not saying anything. Cause that's not realistic. You know, they would all, <laughs> you're, you've got all these people talking at the same time. So that was the goal for the mystery at pancake shores. There's a lot more dialogue in it. And then for so the rose weapon, build like a, uh, it's almost like a stepping stone, like system where it's giving yourself a new challenge every time so that you're never overwhelmed. For sure. And That's then, awesome. yeah, the, when Ember's end is, how do we write a sequel? You know, how do we take all these elements from the first book and how do we have more growth now in the sequel and incorporate those same things and have some payoffs that way? So, um, yeah. That's awesome, man. That's a, I don't know, it's a really clever and well-planned out uh, just creative trajectory. Um and I think that again, definitely something we could all learn from, you know, what just not only thinking about what do I want to make next, um, but also thinking about what do I need to learn next? You know, okay, that's, that's a, so it's like every, every book becomes a little class for you <laughs> where you're, you're offering something to people that, that they might really enjoy, but you're also teaching yourself while you do it. Um, so I, I don't know. I just really appreciate that. So you're, um, you're you're about to release a new one, which is definitely different from anything you've done. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So one of the things I love to do, in addition to writing fiction, I love helping authors do the work of writing. Um, um, I love helping authors get stuff done. And so that's part of the reason why I, I leave that writing group here in town. And with that, I have put together just a short, short book, um, about writing. It's called doing the work is enough and other things I talk about when I talk about writing. And so <laughs> I find myself talking about writing a lot. And so I was like, let's just put it all together. And so I can kind of point people in that direction too. Um, I'm whenever I'm having a conversation with an author, I can say, you know, here's, here's what I have said about that, or here's some other things that might be helpful too. Um, and so it's, it's very uh, basic stuff um, as far as, okay, how do you make interesting side characters? And let's talk about dialogue. And is this a short story or a novel? Or are you ready to write this book yet? And so it's a lot of stuff like that um, that have just been recurring conversations over the years. Mm. Yeah, that, that's awesome, man. Um, I mean, I think a lot of people starting out really, really need that. Like they just need something to start with. Um, and you know, something like Robert McKee's story is, is awesome, Mm -hmm. but the thing is friggin' massive and it's terrifying. (laughs) You hand that to somebody and it's just like, are you serious? (laughs) Um, and so, yeah, we do still recommend you read it, but just having something that's, um, it's really accessible and uh, not a super long read and just really, really basic common sense. Like, okay, here's a writer that's, you know, this many years ahead of me. 
that's been through this and asked these questions, you know, not so long ago that he doesn't remember what the questions are. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, I, yeah, it's, it's super helpful. And I've heard you talk about writing a million times and can say, you know, um, you've taught a lot, me a lot about story and about process and, and all those kind of things. So um, I know that'll be really, really helpful for people when it comes out. Um, and really quick, all your books so far, are they, are they at the Joplin Public Library? Um, they are, I don't know if when Ember's End is there yet, but okay. it's in, um, I actually live in Web City and so they're all at the Web City library oh, for what, sure. Why did we interview you? I thought, <laughs> oh, this is isn't this the Web City Toad? Oh, crap. <laughs> oh, well, it'll work, I guess. Um, <laughs> just, just bleep it out. <laughs> uh, so uh, anyway, assuming we edited that out. So Christian, um, as you're living in Joplin, uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, but as far as places people can find these, um, so it sounds like a couple of them are at the library, um, mm -hmm. vintage stock vintage has stock. its little, yeah, it's a little local author section too. I know you got some stuff there. And then of course online, um, where can people mm -hmm. find your stuff there? Yeah. So they're all on Amazon, um, paperback or Kindle. I, I try to price my books so that they're accessible. Um, one of the positive things about self-publishing is, the, like I said, the margins are a lot better um, for royalties and stuff like that. So I can price them pretty low and still make the same. Or you know, you hear um, traditional published authors would make a dollar a book is pretty common. Well, I can price my books. I think this uh, writing book is seven bucks uh, and I'll still oh, make wow. $2, $2 on it. And so I can make them That's super cheap, accessible and, and still make a decent amount. You know, I'm not trying to get rich from them anyway. I, I want them to be able to be read. And so that's one of my goals is to make, make them accessible. So they're also available on Kindle Unlimited. If people have that where they can go and, and read them uh, with okay. Kindle Unlimited, there's always a Kindle version that's two ninety nine. if you want to go around. Um, it, yeah. That's Try awesome, to, man. Yeah. Um, probably the last, the last topic that I, I wanted to go over with you. Um, we've kind of been doing this whole time and I just, I wanted to, um, give writers that might be listening or really just any creatives, um, just some tips from you. Um, obviously we don't want to give them all or, or no one will get your book, but, uh, <laughs> you know, you've already talked so much. I think people could kind of learned a lot from it, but, um, you know, what, what are just a couple of, of your, your favorite tips to give people just really quick, um, short and sweet little list of, of things that if you're a writer starting out, or even if you've been at it for a while, but you haven't taken that next step yet. Um, sure. Give us, give us a little list to end on. Yeah. So I'll start with the title of the book, which is the first uh, chapter in there doing the work is enough. Um, I recently read a Ryan Holiday book, Ego is the Enemy. And in there, he has a chapter titled Doing the Work is Enough. And he talks about how the work in itself should be enough uh, to sustain you, really. And so I've tried to shift my mindset to focus on that. Um, obviously, five-star reviews are great. Obviously, people buying hundreds and hundreds of books are great. 
Um, but really if you, if that's the thing that sustains you and that makes you happy, um, you're in a pretty fragile place. And so mm. I tried to shift that focus yeah. to the work. I love the work. I love doing the work of sitting down and crafting a story from nothing of editing it and polishing it and all of that. I love every aspect of it. And so trying to lean into that, especially early on, um, I think would be pretty beneficial. To That's me. awesome. And well, and even reversing that, like if you're not happy doing the work, what's wrong? Sure. <laughs> you yeah. need to step back and say, what part of this process have I screwed up? You know, that would make the work not fun anymore. Mm-hmm. And it, not I mean, that goes anymore. into the goals too. I mean, maybe your goals are to make money, but you don't like the work. Well, your goals still line up then you 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 were doing it, but you're doing it to make money. So that's, you know, it, it mm-hmm. it's just making sure you have some congruency there um, with everything. So yeah, for me, it was, I really want to make work that I'm proud of and that I'm excited to sit down and, and write. And um, yeah, so that would be the first thing. Probably that's, that's a good starting place before you even start writing anything. Um, another thing would be, I think I got this from Lance's site when I was first starting off and it's basically you're not ready to write that novel. I kind of mentioned it earlier. Um, If you're just starting out, you'd be better off to start with some short stories. Uh, Keep chipping away at your big story. You know, I've got a a time travel space saga that I want to write, you know, but I know I'm not ready for it for a multi-book giant space time travel story. I I'm just not skilled enough as a writer to be able to handle that. And so make sure you start with something that you can handle. It doesn't even have to be short stories. You can still write a novel. That's where I went with the Rose weapon. I was like, okay, I'm going to use the hero's journey framework. So it's already set out for me and I'm just going to write it from here. It's a simple story. One main character, a couple side characters. Sure. Just kind of go and from you're there. able to write it write a novel and that didn't mean it had to be like George R. R. Martin length novel. Sure. <laughs> like, right. Novel yeah. doesn't mean, you know, it has to be enormous. Yeah. And it's actually technically a novella. It's 30,000 words. That first one. Um, I could have kept going. I could have added stuff to it. If I would rewrite it today, it would, I would add stuff for sure, but I don't, believe in that i guess <laughs> going back in and doing I, I wanted to kind of stand and be okay here's where i was at and now i can see where i'm going and where i you know sure. where I've been. yeah if you spend too but, much time uh, picking old stuff apart you'll never get to the new stuff yeah and that's one thing if you are a writer and you've been doing it for a while um and if you look back at your old stuff and say that's terrible well that's a good sign that means that you're progressing as a writer if oh, you yeah. look back at your old stuff and you're like I was amazing then. I'm amazing now. You're probably pretty stagnant then. Mm-hmm. So, um, what about the people that look at their work and say, oh, "It sucked then. It sucks now." <laughs> <laughs> oh, Do, awkward! Don't be so hard on yourself. <laughs> then you get some peer reviews at that point, some feedback. Yeah, no, for real. Uh, sometimes you got to listen to other people. Yeah, because we can all be hard on ourselves. Um, the last thing I would probably say is, you know, finish your projects. Um, there, one of the chapters in the books is about, in the book is about this. And one of the things in there is 
and I'm constantly telling the the group this as well, but a 90% finished product project is still a hundred percent, not a finished project. <laughs> and so, <laughs> uh, that's, I mean, that's, that's tough to hear. It is. It is. And that's where this writing book has been just been dragging for so long now. I was hoping to have it out in February, I think. And so um, running into problems with formatting and more than I had before, everything like that just slowed it down. But even having a book that's almost done, that's formatted, and is just needs a couple more tweaks to it is still not a finished product. And mm-hmm. so... <laughs> You know, when you, when you get to that stage, there's going to be parts of writing that you don't like uh, or you like a lot, lot less. And so you still have to do those things or I guess hire someone to do it for you. But pushing through and, and doing that is such an important thing because then you can finally say, this project is done. I published it. I put it out there. We marketed it. We had a big launch for it. And now I can move on and, and focus on the next thing. You know, sometimes when you get in the next thing and it's even bigger and you have that, that feeling of like, I can't finish this. This sucks. When you get to the not fun part, because there's always a not fun part. Mm -hmm. Um, If you don't have that experience of looking back on like, haven't I felt this way before? And like, yeah. And and didn't I finish and didn't it turn out fine? You know, Um, if you don't have that, that experience built in of, of having actually worked through the tough phase, then you'll never work through the tough phase. Mm-hmm. So you have Definitely. to do it, you know, you have to do it a couple times, even if the project itself honestly isn't worth finishing. So sure. I, think, I think you're right. Like sometimes the importance really is just to finish the thing. Um, regardless of, you know, you might look at the project and be like, this isn't worth finishing. And you might be right, but you still need to finish it just to, just to teach yourself how to do that. Yeah. And that might not mean publishing, of course, publishing every book, you know, or every story that you write, but it's still finishing and then learning from that, finishing the first draft or whatever it is. Um, yeah. Finishing can mean different things there. But the, the problem is when you start writing, you get 10,000 words in and you get an idea for something else and you go to it and you start writing it. And then the same thing just keeps happening. Now you've got three or four unfinished books and mm how do you go back from there? Um, yeah. It's difficult. Yeah. Well, it sounds like the big, the big takeaway that I can kind of try and sum up um, a lot of these concepts you're talking about is write what you love, obviously write what's fun for you, write, write what, um, what will sustain you um, regardless of the, the side benefits of the thing. And when I say writing, you know, I'm, I mean, create, you don't have to be a writer to, to pull from these concepts, but, sure. um, you know, make what you deep down need to make. Um, but set up your projects in a way where, uh, they're not too daunting for you to complete them. <laughs> so mm-hmm. if you're not so sure if you can tackle something, you know, just do a smaller version of it and keep upping, you know, the scale. Um, and if you do that steadily enough for long enough, you know, obviously you will get to that point where you're, you can create huge things, mm-hmm. but if you, yeah, if you try and start with something too big, you'll only discourage yourself and, and burn out. And that's kind of a great segue into with the release of this book, doing the work is enough. Um, I'm also going to be releasing a product called the book. book 
blueprint. And so it's a personalized plan to get you from story idea to ready to publish manuscript. And so I've broken it down to the steps that I use to write a novel, um, from story ideas to outlining to first drafting to editing and all that kind of stuff. And basically what I'll do is personalize it for you. So at the very beginning, I ask, what's your timeline? When do you want this to be done? How much time a week do you have to work on it? And then I'll build a blueprint just for you um, for your book. And then um, it's a, I designed oh, awesome. a PDF that has all that in there for you. So that's going to launch at the same time as doing the work is enough. And actually included in that, if you buy the book writing blueprint, you also get a paperback copy of the book. So, Oh, wow. Okay. That's very cool. Frank, it's been great talking to you. Uh, but uh, no, I really have enjoyed uh, the conversation. I hope that uh, a lot of people listen to it and learn some things and just really get encouraged. Um, if you're listening and you, you don't consider yourself a creative or a writer, but you've always had an interest in it, or maybe you just haven't picked up the pen in a while, um, now's, now's the time. Uh, and it, it doesn't have to be so intimidating, you know, you're not even, you know, if you're not ready for a short story, well, write a poem. Don't know about poems. Well, write a haiku. Like anybody can write a haiku. Uh, just start with the next step. And that step can be as small as you need it to be. But, uh, Christian, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. That'll do it for today. Talk to you guys soon. Thanks for listening to the Joplin Toadcast, brought to you by JoplinToad.com. If you want to check out Mr. Schultz's new book for writers, his year-long series of tips for authors, or any of his fun fiction work, you can visit www.fcschultz.com. That's F-C-S-H-U-L-T-Z.com. This podcast is brought to you by the Joplin Toad, an online arts and humor magazine that loves the city of Joplin, Missouri. Give us a follow by searching for the Joplin Toad on your favorite social media platform. This episode was hosted by Mark Neinschwander, produced and edited by Jeremiah Jones, and introduced by me, Bernard Flamham.